Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So thank you so much, guys, for all of your correspondence with all on DMs and the shares and the likes and the everything really. And, and keep please, please, please keep doing the reviews up on iTunes and, and sharing it as many people we can to get listed to the podcast would be amazing. I'm so so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Today's guest is Leanne Ward. So Leanne is a nutrition expert from Australia. She helps women with emotional eating, good health, and and has a a main focus on female fat focus fat loss. And I think I've listened to Leanne's podcast, which is the the, the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, and it's an incredible podcast, and has had some incredible guests. She's the creator of the Lean Good Method and the founder of At Lean Green Living AU, and it's an incredible episode. And Leanne knows her stuff. So some of the stuff that we talk about is about self-sabotage. Some of the stuff that we talk about, health reminders that you are enough and the self-compassion about it. The, the eating emotions and the human side of it. Removing the all or nothing approach. The kind of like the busy guide to being healthy. Should dieting be hard? And kind of the, the outlook and the, the approach that she has to coaching and work with her clients. It's an incredible episode. Very, very orientated towards one, the element of nutrition, but also the element of compassion and the headspace and the mindset stuff towards things so hope you enjoyed the episode leanne thank you so much for coming on how are we yeah good thank you thank you for having me it's a pleasure i know it's like 6 a.m where you are at the minute so <laughs> it's uh that has to be a record for the uh, for the for the earliest podcast recording so thank you so much for giving up so much of your time and thank you for staying up so late for me we're on opposite <laughs> sides of the world right now so you know we do what we have to do don't we the power of zoom um so Leanne, let me get you to give us a little bit more background about yourself. I gave you a little bit of synopsis at the beginning. Your podcast is one of those podcasts I've learned so much about good health for my own clients. So thank you for the podcast and the incredible awesome. guests you've had on. So I'm going to let you talk about the, the podcast, the Lean Good Method, and a little bit of how you got into the whole realm of what you do at the, at the minute. Yeah, sure. So I guess a little bit of my background. I, I guess, grew up always loving food, always loving nutrition, always wanting to help people. So I think during primary school, high school, when you make that sort of critical decision, like, what am I going to do with my life? I was torn between, um, I guess, initially, dietetics never even um, became an option. I wanted to be a flight attendant, but I'm six foot one. So that was quickly ruled out because I was actually too tall. Um, And then I wanted to do physiotherapy. And I did like a week of, um, it's like prac. Um, and then I had to sort of lean down over a bed or um, it was like with a sports physiotherapist all week. And by the end of the week, I was like, my arms are killing me. My back's killing me. I was like, I can't do this. I'm not like strong enough. I have not cut out physiotherapy, <laughs> it's sports physio anyway. So I went from that, thought about speech pathology, thought about medicine, landed in dietetics because it was the couple of things that I loved about food, about, you know, medicine and health, but also just that real need that I had to help people. So I think I would have always landed somewhere within the health and medical realm somewhere. Um, But yeah, ended up in nutrition and dietetics, what I loved. So I studied, um, my undergrad was a bachelor of health science majoring in nutrition. So that degree actually led me, I could have become a paramedic if I wanted, I could have become a doctor, I could have become um, a physio if I wanted or a dietitian. 
So I actually went after that degree, uh, after I specialized in nutrition, went and worked as a public health nutritionist out in the country for a couple of years. Absolutely loved that, but really missed that clinical application of dietetics. It was very much sort of community focused, public health focused. It was wonderful, but I was being stopped in, you know, a small town walking down the street being like, hey, Leanne, can you give me suggestions for this? My, my, uh, my grandma's got, you know, she's on dialysis for kidney disease. I didn't have those skills to have that knowledge to be able to help people. So I actually went back and, um, Initially, a year before that, enrolled in a Master's of Public Health, did that for a year, didn't really enjoy that in terms of like the biostatistics, the epidemiology side of that, it's not what my brain loves. So I went back and did a Master's of Dietetics. Um, and then after that, went and worked as a hospital dietitian for about six years. Absolutely love that job. That has turned me into the dietitian that I am today. So, so, so grateful, so, so fortunate for that job. And I ended up um, within that hospital dietetics job working as a um, gastroenterology dietitian, um, doing a bit of surgical dietetics, outpatient dietetics, and I think what I really realized from working in the outpatient clinics over here in Australia, we actually get um, healthcare for free. If people need it, they can access healthcare for free, which is wonderful. Um, but I was seeing a lot of people, you know, newly diagnosed diabetics, newly diagnosed people with some autoimmune conditions, some gut health issues. Um, and they were accessing the system, which was wonderful. They were turning up to their appointments, but at the same time, they didn't have that accountability because they weren't invested in the game. You know, they they hadn't paid anything for it. So there was a lot of cancellations, a lot of rescheduling, a lot of, um, oh, I haven't seen you for nine months and I'm not making any changes because they'd cancelled three appointments in a row kind of thing. And I get a lot of these people were very sick. They were very unwell. So I'm definitely not judging that, but I sort of thought I'm not making true change here you know I'm not I'm not influencing people and really helping to change lives like I wanted to when I got into this profession um, and so I actually left the hospital about two years ago um, and I launched my worldwide business Leanne Ward Nutrition essentially and there's a couple of different things under that banner you know I've got a um, worldwide coaching business link up my method I've got four dietitians working with me in that I've got an online course on self-sabotage got a couple of webinars ebooks products on my website um, done a couple of uh events and stuff. And so we're looking at an Australian tour next year. Um, so it's been a really, really busy, but rewarding two years. And so that's a little bit of a, I guess, a background of where I've come from and, and where we're at right now. <laughs> that's a whirlwind two years. So yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's been huge. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, you mentioned the word self-sabotage mm. and a lot of people, it, it's very common. And I think what a lot of people are realizing with this weird time, because a lot of people have a lot more downtime. A lot of people are very, very busy, have had very, very busy lives. They're actually realizing that there's something internal that's been stopping them for a little while. I think it's mm -hmm. becoming more prevalent. You can see, I think it's like a 60% increase in eating disorders amongst men in, in yeah. Ireland yeah. in the last little while, uh, over the last year. You've created a course recently, you spoke about that. Like what is self-sabotage? What are the kind of the top 10 tips that you have to kind of conquer self-sabotage? Because it is a huge element. Mm -hmm. So my course is on self-sabotage and emotional eating. And I actually wrote this in the midst of COVID, you know, sort of like um, May, June, July last year when I was sort of like, how can I, how can I help people? And these are the questions I was getting constantly. Like, you know, people went into lockdown, you know, generally one of two sides, like I'm going to get super fit or, you know, this is my time. I'm going to do this. And then, you know, coming at the other end, everyone was like, that was, that was really hard. Like, you know, I had the best intentions to begin with, but I'm not anywhere close to the goals that I set for myself. And a lot of people really struggled with that. And some of that is just the circumstances, the the, lock, the multiple lockdowns, like everyone had a really tough year, right? Um, we're very fortunate here in Australia, but particularly where you guys over there, really, really tough. So self-sabotage, it's a real thing. And then coupled with some really, I guess, extreme circumstances, some people have had a really tough 
for a couple of years. So when we think about self-sabotage in terms of um, it being a noun, so it's essentially the sabotaging, whether consciously or subconsciously, of oneself. And when you think about it as like a verb in a sentence, it's, you know, I sabotage myself or I, um, I self-sabotage my own intention or plan to do this. And I guess more like a real world example of that is where part of someone's personality acts in conflicts with an, like with another part of their personality. So they're like, I really, really want to do this. But then an hour later, they're like, oh, I'm too tired. You know, like I'll start tomorrow. It'll be fun. So it's, it's, a, it's a real thing for a lot of people, men and women. It's not just something that women do. Um, and I guess if I had to say 10 tips to help conquer that, to start with, it would be to understand your habits and your patterns. So a lot of when I relate this back to food, a lot of it comes back to habits and patterns and conditioning. Um, So to understand what patterns or what things you do regularly, you know, if you're someone who wants to improve their eating, but they're eating um, sweets and chocolate after dinner every single night. If your pattern is to eat on the couch while you're watching Netflix, if you're not paying full attention to that food and being mindful to that meal, your brain hasn't really processed that you've had time to eat or a good meal. And so of course, you're always going to crave something after dinner because you're not satisfied and you're not fulfilled because your brain hasn't consciously become aware that you've had some food. So really understanding your own personal patterns and behaviors, because that's where a lot of people get stuck is in that in those patterns that have been happening for a very long time. The next one is to really understand your core needs and values. So when our needs and our values aren't being met, we're far more likely to self-sabotage. So if one of our values is to socialize and have have great friends and have that you know human to human contact but all of our friends are single and they go out drinking every weekend if one of our values is not to drink but another one is to socialize with our friends we're going to go out we're going to go to the club and we're more than likely you know hopefully once we finish lockdown more than likely to end up having a drink at some stage to that because the value that we need is to socialize and if the only way we can get that value is to go out to the club where there's a lot of alcohol and drinking around we're likely going to self-sabotage eventually so it's to really establish what are your core needs and values and how can we meet them in a way that um, isn't in conflict with some of the other goals and values that we have. Number three, tackle your inner mean girl or guy. (laughs) So just being really kind to yourself. So we're so harsh on ourselves, particularly as females, we say things to ourselves that we wouldn't dare ever even say out loud, let alone to another person. So we're so hard on ourselves. I have so many women who repeat these things over and over and over in their head. And when I get them to say them out loud, they almost burst into tears because you wouldn't ever call your best friend a fat pig, but we seem to be okay with calling ourselves that when we do slip up and we do mess up. So it's really about that inner kindness and noticing that voice in your head and those things that you say to yourself on a regular basis and trying to make that more kinder and positive. And if you're not able to get there, at least make those thoughts neutral. So number four for self-sabotage would be to identify the root cause. Why are we doing this? It's not because you're weak. It's not because you're a failure. It's because some of those core needs and values aren't being met and you're not understanding your habits and patterns. So it's to sit down and actually reflect back on when were the last few moments or times that I self-sabotage and how can I actually move forward from here? You know, what was the, the root cause? What was the reason for me doing that? It's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I'm weak. It's not because I fail everything that I do. It's because there's something deep down there, a root cause that we're not really identifying identifying or being aware of. So we're not even halfway through yet. I hope that gives your listeners some, some helpful tips. Do you want me to keep going or do you feel like I'm waffling a bit? No, no, I, I love it because I, I, I've, I go through a lot of these things with my clients without them even realizing I'm doing it to them, if you know what I mean. So I think yeah, people, yeah. people definitely need to keep going with the list because I think 
you may not hit all 10 or you may hit all 10 or whatever maybe but i think someone will identify with one out of the 10 that's definitely being mentioned if you know what i mean absolutely and this is my tip number five is to aim for progress so a lot of people you can feel very overwhelmed when somebody gives you a list of 10 things or somebody gives you a meal plan or a 12-week training program to follow and you're like oh my goodness, like I could do this for a day or two, then day three hits and the motivation drops down, life gets a bit crazy and it's like you throw on the towel. It's that very all or nothing mindset for a lot of a lot of people, particularly a lot of women. So it's to really aim for that progress. And in my business, my life and my podcast, you probably heard me talk about my 10% better mantra. So it's really just aiming for that tiny bits of progress every single day. Don't beat yourself up. If you're going to self-sabotage, try and do it, you know, a little bit bit less than what you previously might have done it you know it might be that you plan to go to the gym but you're like oh I'm too tired you know bugger it I'll go tomorrow but it's like no I'm gonna get my butt up and I'm gonna go for a 10 minute walk instead so you didn't fail you just made a tiny bit of progress so it gets rid of that all or nothing self-sabotage behavior so really just aiming for that 10% better every single day which is so achievable for so many people um, number six is to be mindful and practice mindfulness, whether that's um, in terms of just, you know, five minutes of meditation every day, or just trying to be really mindful in a small area of your life. You know, we all brush our teeth. Well, I hope every single day <laughs> we, uh, most of us eat breakfast, eat lunch. So just trying to pick one meal or one snack from the day to be really mindful with, because if you're not going to practice mindful eating um, and you're not aware of that food that you're eating, your brain's never really going to feel that fullness and satisfaction after that food. So a lot of people who go, you know, I just ate a meal, but now I'm hungry for something else. That's not true hunger. Well, for some people it is, for a lot of people it isn't. It's more what I call that head hunger. They feel hungry, but it's more some of that emotional or habit-driven need to eat versus true physical hunger or what I call stomach hunger. So being mindful and paying full awareness and attention to different aspects of our life, including eating, is super, super powerful for, my, uh, for self-sabotage. Number seven, set up your environment for success. So I guess this comes back to A, the people and um, your loved ones. You know, if you're sort of said to your partner, look, I really want to try and um, improve my lifestyle, eat some great foods. And every night they're ordering like Uber Eats or KFC or Maccas and they're bringing a ton of junk food into the house. That's not going to be helpful for you long term. So A, probably a good time to reassess your relationship, but also B, you know, it's not about being weak. It's about having those great support systems. And if we don't have those support systems around us, we're never going to succeed because we're only human and we get tired. We have lapses in judgment. We have a bad days, but it's up to our environment and our support people in order to keep us strong and keep us going and keep us motivated. So have those friends, family, um, hire a coach if you really need that accountability, um, because that plus your environment is so crucial for success. If your goal is to Again, stop drinking or cut down the amount of alcohol, but you have a full bottle of wine sitting on your counter. If you walk past your kitchen counter X amount of times a day, you're going to crack eventually because that wine's just like staring you in the face. So being really conscious to set up your environment for success and the support system that you have around you as well. Uh, home stretch, <laughs> number eight, uh, just really be super conscious and aware of your triggers. So for me, a trigger is lack of sleep. If I don't have a good night's sleep, it makes it 10 times harder for me to do anything, to go to the gym, to make a healthy salad, to say no when my partner's like, hey, babe, let's get pizza tonight. The old me would be like, yeah, let's get pizza and salad. The tired me is like, yep, sounds good. You order it. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. really just being aware of what are your triggers. For a lot of people, it's a huge amount of stress with work, or maybe it's a fight with their partner. Maybe it's um, the fact that they're sick, just sick, general sickness or illness triggers a lot of people. A lot of people either don't eat when they're sick or ill, or they just continue to eat a crap of junk food because they're like, well, I'm already sick. I may as well just you know eat some stuff to make me feel better. So really be aware of what sort of things trigger your patterns and behaviors. Um, number nine, we've sort of talked about this cheer squad and support crew kind of ties back into setting up your environment, but also you socially and as a human, you need, you need that support. We're not, we, as humans, we weren't meant to do it alone. Right. So it's really around setting, um, goals and hanging about and and liaising with like-minded people who are on board with what we want to do as well you know if your goal is not to drink alcohol but your only friendship circle goes out and parties in clubs every weekend it could be really difficult to meet that goal so it's about having our values and needs met but with a support crew that's totally on board with our values and our needs and then lastly, one I find that is so, so powerful and where I usually start, which is why we ended with this one, so it's fresh in people's minds, is to really change your story. And for a lot of my clients, their story is, I'm addicted to sugar. I can't, I can't eat carbs. The minute I eat carbs, I gain weight. Or, um, you know, I have no energy. Oh my God, I'm tired all the time. And if you asked me two years ago when I left my stable permanent government job and started my own business, my God, was I tired all the time. I was doing seven hour days, 10 hour days, but I wasn't necessarily productive, but I was, everyone who asked me, I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm so tired until I changed my story around that. And I was like, I'm wonderful. I'm thriving. I'm so blessed to be where I am. Um, So it's really around that story that we say to ourselves again and again and again, if your story is I'm addicted to sugar, you're probably going to be addicted to sugar and constantly crave it. But if your story is that, you know, I don't need sugar for energy. I have an abundance of energy available to me at any moment. I can tap into that energy. I've, I've got it available to me. I don't need sugar. I don't need alcohol. I don't need coffee to pick me up. If that becomes your story um, and you repeat it over and over and over again, sooner or later, you're going to start to act like that story as well. So it really comes back to that inner mean girl or guy, what we say to ourselves on a daily basis. And a lot of that's tied into that story that we've told ourselves since we were young, that story that other people have told them. So as I mentioned, I'm not sure if I mentioned this to you or on another podcast yesterday, but I'm six foot one. So I'm very tall. My story growing up and the reason that I ended up in health and nutrition was that I'm a big girl. Growing up, everybody told me I was a big girl. And if you look at me, I'm quite slim. There's, but in my head, I was like, I'm a big girl. Everyone told me I was a big girl growing up. I used to wear clothes that were three, four, five times too big for me. My shirts were like out here because I thought that I had to wear big girl clothes, if that makes sense. So it's really, that became a part of my story and my identity until one day my old sister was like, if you don't start wearing clothes that fit you, like we're not hanging out. Like that's so uncool. Like you can't, you look like, I was always like, I'm a tomboy growing up. I didn't want to wear the cute little girly crop tops when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, because I thought that I didn't fit in them and I was too big and I didn't look great in them. And all my friends were teeny tiny. And I just wanted to weigh what they weighed, not understanding that I was so much taller than all of my friends um, and still am, but that's okay. So really that was my story and my identity for so long until I changed that into just being, you know, I'm a lovely tall girl instead of I'm a big girl, which everyone told me when I grew up. So really trying to go back to even like your childhood and your teens to identify what is that story that you've been told over and over or that you've told yourself over and over. Because that really is for a lot of people, the core or the root of the reasons why we self-sabotage. And a lot of that comes back to the, I'm not good enough story or I don't deserve this enough, which is a lot of the times when things are going right and you're doing things well, we self-sabotage them because deep down internally, we almost feel like we don't deserve it. 
I love the whole aspect of changing a narrative. It's kind of like training a muscle. You have to retrain the brain almost to try and tell you the positive aspect because if you've been going through it for a negative, that's what it's been trained to do. Mm-hmm. So you need mm-hmm. to like, but I, when you mentioned, you mentioned like mindfulness, people think it's like you're going to turn into the Buddha all of a, all of yeah. a sudden, but that's not what happens. It's yeah. like just being present a little bit more, putting the phone away, turning the TV off, or just having to sit down with, with, with your folks or with your family or whatever it may be. Uh, and, I, yep. I, and I love that. I think a lot of people do struggle with it. The environment is huge. And I know I can resonate with so much of that in relation to changing your kind of like your inner circle, as I call it, mm-hmm. and surrounding mm-hmm. who, who you want uh, and who you want to become as well. Uh, so I think there's so many bits of that as well. You've mentioned the kind of like the aspect of kind of like not being enough. And a lot of people feel that they may not be enough and self-worth and a huge thing. And self-compassion is mm-hmm. a huge thing as well. You, you put up a post back in, I think it was November, about the importance of kind of little reminders to yourself that you, that you are enough. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, totally. And even with that, I'm not enough sort of story. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever told yourself it. I've definitely told myself, even with my own business, it, sometimes I'm like, oh, I should do that. And it's like, oh, no, no, I can't do that. And then my partner's like, why can't you? Like, you can do anything you want, babe. Like, just go for it. And then that little thing in my head's kind of like, I don't deserve it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Maybe peers I went to uni with would look at me and be like, oh, my God, why is she doing that? It's that judgment. But when we really turn that around, we're judging ourselves. And 90% of the time, we're worried about that fear and that judgment from other people, but really a lot of that fear and judgment's coming from us and nobody else. So really, I like to say to my clients, when that fear comes up, when that imposter syndrome comes up, when you feel like you're not good enough, put those thoughts down on paper because getting something out of your head that's been going around and around and around and around for how many years, telling yourself that you're not good, you don't deserve it, um, you're going to fail anyway, getting that down on paper, you're able to objectively really see it for what it is and saying it out loud, you can almost realize kind of how ridiculous that sounds. Like, I don't want to go to the gym and improve my strength and eat well to nourish my body because I feel like I don't deserve it. Like if you said that out loud to someone, they'd be like, are you crazy? Like, of course you deserve that. So that imposter syndrome is a real deal within the health and fitness industry. But also I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm sure I felt, oh, I've definitely felt it myself. I'm sure maybe you have too. And a lot of other people running their own business, we all do because it's like, who am I to deserve this? Like I didn't do anything different to anybody else, but you know, here we are kind of thing. So we all get that imposter syndrome. Like we we don't feel good enough. So I did put up a post. It was more related to, I guess, health and fitness, but it's still a really great reminder that in this day and age, we, we judge ourselves far too harshly and we compare ourselves far too harshly, particularly with social media. There's so many days where I'll show up with like no makeup on. I literally haven't washed my hair in four days. It's disgusting. Um, I think I like picked this up from the floor this morning. I was like, uh, you know, I don't show up fully doled up like a lot of the influencers do online, but that's okay. That's just who I am. I, I just don't have that time to spend two hours doing my makeup. But I look at these other girls and I'm like, oh my God, they're beautiful. I could never do that. I could never work with that brand because like their ambassadors are just, you know, they're gorgeous or whatever whatever it is, but we feel like we're not enough. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. But in this day and age with social media, it's so important to understand that beauty is everywhere. Beauty is so different. And a lot of it is is photoshopped online as well. So it's important to not spend all of your spare time online because you get this really warped view of what really is reality. You know, you get a lot of these influencers who are having private jets flying around the world with their expensive designer handbags. And it's like, 
that's not reality for 99.9% of us. <laughs> so it's really important to, I think my first part of that post was, you know, everyone's beautiful. Um, don't compare yourself. Um, another part of that was you can eat if you're hungry, like a really friendly reminder that if you're hungry, it is okay to eat. Um, I see a lot of women and men following meal plans where it's like someone's written them a meal plan and it's like X amount of meals, X amount of snacks. And they're like, well, I'm hungry. What do I do? I've, I've gotten to 8 PM and I'm out of calories, but I don't go to bed till 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. It's like, please eat something. You know, we don't do the same thing every single day. We shouldn't be eating the same thing or the same amount of calories every single day. Because some days we have a massive leg session. Other days I might go do just an upper body session. I don't burn that much energy. I don't need that much fuel was when I'm doing like a huge lower body focus session. So I think it's really important to understand for people to listen to your body. And if it's telling you that you're hungry, eat something. And if it's telling you, hey, I've had enough, I don't need to finish that meal. Don't force yourself to finish that meal just because it quote unquote like fits your macros or something like that. So really important to listen and respect your body in that way. And then another part of that quote was that your weight doesn't equal your worth. So many times I work with, you know, particularly women and they go, you know, my goal is 60 kilos. My goal is uh, 55 kilos. My goal is 50, whatever it is. It's always a round number. And I always love to challenge that. And I'm like, well, what if we got to 61 and a half kilos? No, no, 60. Or it's got to be under 60. And it's like they just put their whole worth on this number where, Oh my goodness. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're walking around, someone's not going to be like, Hey Shane, you're a kilo down. You're under 70 kilos, mate. Woo-hoo, well done. Like people don't realize that. And we, we put so much value on the scale and that number on the scale that, you know, being skinny doesn't make you happy at my leanest and skinniest. I can promise you that I was not happy. I was not healthy, but for so long, I just wanted to be, you know, that five kilos less. Cause I thought that that was everything. And I wanted to be like, yeah, I've lost five kilos, but I didn't look good and I didn't look healthy. And so I think that we place so much worth on a number on the scale and our weight um, and we shouldn't do that. So really challenge yourself if your goal is to get to X number, why is that? And for a lot of people as well, the clients will sign up with me and they're like, oh, say they're 40, for example, and they're like, oh, I want to get to um, 70 kilos. And they might be, say, 95 at the moment. And I say, okay, all right, what is it about 70 kilos? And they're like, oh, that's the weight I felt best at. Okay, when was the last time you were 70 kilos? 22, 23. Okay. So now we're in our (laughs) forties. We're a little bit away from that. You know, bodies grow and they change and they develop. And if you've had three kids and you're now in your forties, you're probably not going to be where you were when you were 20. So just having those realistic expectations. And again, the more time we spend offline, I think the more we can tap into that being real and being realistic without getting caught up on that online, um, you know, social media perfection, comparing ourselves and that sort of thing. And then I think the last part of that post was um, it's okay to take rest days, which I just think is so important. I work with so many clients who are just overtraining and a lot of them it's masked in. I just love exercise, but it's like they love exercise, but they're getting up at, you know, 4.45 in the morning to do a 5.15 hit session class. Then they're going back at nighttime after a huge day at work and their body is just so stressed and they just can't see that. And it's all wrapped up in this whole, I love exercise kind of bubble. But at the same time, it's like, what about loving your body enough to take a rest day or loving your body enough to slow down and recognize what it's saying to you. If you're constantly sick and you're constantly injured and you're not making any progress and you're not achieving your goals, maybe it's time to just take a break and take a step back and go for a lovely long walk outside or something if you if you can, rather than hitting the gym, you know, six, seven days a week doing all of this high intensity training, which is quote unquote good for fat loss, but also stressing your body out to the max. So really important to remember that 
rest days are absolutely needed and absolutely okay, particularly if you want to continue to make progress. <laughs> I think the huge element that you've mentioned there, like I can hear so many of the kind of consultations I've had recently with some of those things you were saying about, I'll be happy when I'm this weight. And it's always a round number. It's never like 62, mm-hmm. or it's always like 60 or 70 or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. It's never like 62.7 kilos, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But one of the lines I love to use is, well, what do you use to get your clothes? Do you go into a shop looking for a size 70 kilos or do you go to look for a size or how you feel in your clothes? And it's going to be yeah. different from Zara to M&S or to Woolworths or whatever it may be. So go by how you feel in your clothes rather than by what it's, uh, you don't go, if you went into a shop saying kind of a size 70 kilos, you'd be sent to a somewhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get funny looks. So they it, look at I, you baffled, yeah. Yeah, but I think what you said there about kind of as we get older, it's it is more difficult to kind of accept that as well and there's a lot an awful lot of changes for for women in particular when they get older and it's not an easy acceptance and body acceptance and self-image and all that kind of stuff comes into it and it is kind of setting realistic expectations and not being really looking at kind of what's on social media um and have, what kind of barriers do you put yourself up for social media because you put out a, a, a lot of content you put out kind of reels as well and have to have fun with reels how do you put your your blockers in for your own content or your own social media time yeah so i used to um always post like seven days a week and again think that you know if i didn't post every day people wouldn't follow me that unfollow me they, they'd be like oh leanne looks lazy and again that was just my own fear my own judgment my own imposter syndrome right so if you look back on my recent post i got married a couple of months ago um we just bought a house we're trying to sell this one we're moving like it's a bit of a crazy time in my life and so i think last week maybe i posted twice the week before that maybe two or three times um so really i like to more go for quality content or I like to think I hope (laughs) over just popping you know like pumping out content for the sake of pumping out content so I really do try to um I guess manage my time on social media a lot of the time people get quite annoyed with me because they've sent me a dm a week ago like I have hundreds of dms I just I can't even get on top of them if I um you know respond to you it might be like four and a half weeks later and then if I respond to someone they get frustrated with me because they're like oh I already asked somebody else and it's like well like I have a life and I don't spend that entire life on social media because that doesn't make me feel good because I myself get wrapped up in that comparison syndrome and that sort of thing. So the less time I spend on social media, the better I am as kind of a person. So I don't actually spend a lot of time engaging on social media. I jump on, I I post some content that I hope is helpful for a lot of people, reply to a couple of DMs, and then I'm off again. And for a lot of the time, I don't really do that until last thing at night. So I'm generally online maybe seven to nine o'clock at night, um, not the whole time, but sort of jumping in and out of my inbox, um, responding to a couple of comments on my latest post, that sort of thing. I don't do it, you know, first thing in the morning because it Again, I don't like to start my way that day, which a lot of people do. They'll wake up and they'll pull out their phone while they're still in bed. And and I used to do that. And it just, it didn't make me feel great because from the minute I woke up, I was comparing myself and I was like, oh, look at that girl and her luxury yacht in her private jet. Like, imagine if that was my life. Like I'd be comparing myself from the minute I woke up. So I've set some really strict, um, I guess, boundaries around when I use social media. Um, And I do a lot of my replying to comments and that sort of thing um, when we're going somewhere and my partner's driving. So we're going up the coast, for example, it might be like an hour, hour and a half trip. I'll spend a good hour and a half just constantly replying to comments and DMs because that's sort of time that I'm like, um, that to me is like free time almost like. But once I get there for a trip or a holiday, I want to be fully present and I won't kind of touch my phone again. Uh, Maybe put up a couple of stories and that's pretty much about it over the course of a weekend. So I set more boundaries around my time with social media use these days and don't feel like I constantly need to post um, but do try to post not just nutrition related content and I feel like I'm relatable to people in that way or I hope because 
I post about mental health. I post about perfectionism. I post about emotional eating. I post about failing. I post a photo of myself having a glass of wine and people are like, oh crap, she's an artist she drinks wine. Yeah, cool. <laughs> like I post about my real life. And so I hope that that comes through and, and people realize that as dietitians, as trainers, we're not perfect. We don't always eat quote unquote, hundred percent clean. We can have fun. We can go out, we can have a drink, but it's not, I try to get rid of this sort of like all or nothing mentality, which I got very caught up in um, when I was younger. So I try to sort of relate that to my social media as well. I don't have to post every single day. I don't have to be perfect on there either. If I get up and I post once a week, I'm sure you know, my followers will appreciate that, that one post for the week. I hope. <laughs> I think, I think, as you said, like, I think when people think you work in fitness or whatever, like saw your chicken and broccoli people before we came on, I had an ice cream before we came up, but that's my non-negotiable every single day. I was like, ice cream is life. Life's too short without ice love cream. It. Um, love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you've mentioned about kind of all or nothing approach. And I know that was one of the questions, but one of the things that's kind of coming up an awful lot for, mm-hmm. When people go on diets and people have been in offices, they're always like, oh, what diet on? What diet are you on? They get attached mm. to a label. And people are always like, dieting should mean suffering. Like, should dieting be hard for people or do we make it more difficult for ourselves than it should be? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely make it more difficult. And I think that when you... I guess, attach a label to it, such as dieting or such as whatever it is, you put a label on it, I think it feels 10 times harder. So I always say to my clients, make it a lifestyle change. Set yourself a goal of 12 months. If you can't see yourself sticking to whatever principles that this diet says for 12 full months, you're going to quit. It's not going to be realistic. You're not going to be able to achieve your goals. You're not going to have fun while you get there. But if you make it a lifestyle change, if you slowly start to change some of your patterns and behaviors and and habits over time slowly, you'll get to your goal. Sure, it might take you three, four times as much as long as what you want. A lot of people want to achieve their goal in 12 weeks. I'm like, why don't we take 12 months? Sure, it might take you four times the amount of time, but 12 months, it took you, you know, 10 years to put on the weight. Surely taking 12 months to get it off is, is absolutely okay. And we can have some fun along the way. You can have a bit of chocolate. You can have a couple of wines on a, on a Saturday night. Like that's okay. Rather than being super strict all or nothing, they finish their 12-week program, eight-week program, gym challenge, whatever it is, and they crack, they fall off the wagon because it's too restrictive and they can't stick to it. So I would say to someone, can you see yourself doing this for the next five years? And most of the time what they're doing is, 99% of the time it's no. And I'm like, well, that's too restrictive. I don't care if you, you will lose the most amount of weight on that diet, that weight's not going to, it's not going to stay off. So I do think that we make dieting harder because we try to do what works for other people, but we're all very different. And even if we look at the current evidence-based literature in terms of fat loss, you can have a high carb diet, you can have a high fat diet, both will get you the same result as long as A, you're in a calorie deficit and B, your protein's matched you'll get the same results. So there are all these people online fighting about whether you should eat a ton of carbs or whether you should eat a ton of fat. They're both going to get you the same result. What do you like more? I'm personally a carb girl. Love my carbs. Couldn't really care less about fat. Like I could, I'd rather die than put butter in my coffee or have to eat like red meat every single day. Just not me personally, but I have other clients that thrive off that. So it's really finding that individualized approach to what works for you. And dieting's not hard when you make it a lifestyle change. When you think about, hey, can I see myself doing this in five years' time, in 12 months' time? And if you can, or if you're like, yeah, like I, I think that this makes me a better person. I feel great. I have a ton of energy. I still get to have, you know, my occasional treat foods, what I call soul foods occasionally as well. Um, and that makes me happy. So this is, you know, something that I can see myself doing long-term. It doesn't become hard then because a lot of people, they can't achieve the results they want or they achieve the results they want, but they can't 
stay there because they're not able to be consistent and they're not able to be consistent because they're not doing something that they enjoy or that fits into their lifestyle. They're just trying to fit. It's like they've taken this diet or this triangle and they're trying to shove it into a square, which is their lifestyle, right? Like it was never going to fit for so many people. Um, And particularly um, people who do a lot of strength training or high intensity exercise, we do better with carbs. And so it's like trying to cut them out and they get up at 5am and punish yourself with a 45 minute high intensity session. Of course, you're going to feel like you want to crawl out of the gym because you've got no fuel on board. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's really understanding that it doesn't have to be hard. Um, Sure, it requires discipline and some consistency, but it shouldn't feel like it's going to break you and you shouldn't get to the end of the eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it is, and be like, oh, thank God, let's go have a party and drink and order pizza because it's over and I did it, which is what happens to so many people. And then they just put all the weight back on again. So really play the long game with fat loss, with dieting. Um, It's 100% worth it and do that complete lifestyle transformation for something that works for you. How do you talk clients away from the magic number that is 1,200 calories? that people seem to go for really quickly. So easy. I say to them, you paid me all of this money (laughs) and I'm going to get you results, but you have to trust me. And I just say to them, how has what you've been doing, how has it worked for you? And I get the whole background that a lot of times they're in tears by the time they finish. And I say, great. So it hasn't worked. Wonderful. Let's do it my way. And being honest, my way is not, it's not a way. It's not a, it's a method, but it's not, it's not, you must do carb. You must do gluten-free. You must cut out all fat. It's just, okay, tell me what works for you. I'll put it into a plan that is personalized for you. We'll include soul foods regularly for you. I want you to slip up. I want you to fail. We're going to reflect back on that. We're going to aim for 10% better every day. We're going to work on the psychology behind your eating, the behaviors, the mindset, the tools like that. So it's not completely just focused on nutrition. So I basically get them to reflect on why they haven't been successful and then they can see that. And so it's easy, like it's an easy swap in their mind, but they get so attached to that because they say, that's the only way I've been able to lose weight in the past. And I always say to them, have you kept it off? The answer is a resounding no across the board. No. Why? Because your body needs more fuel than that. So yes, they lose quickly, but they put it back on quickly. So I always say, the harder you lose it or the quicker you lose it, the quicker it's going to come back. So I always say, we want small amounts of fat loss regularly, but over a longer period of time, because once we lose it, we never want to see it again. We don't want it coming back. And so the body adapts better over time if we're doing that sort of at a slower rate. So it has time to adjust um, over time rather than sort of damaging ourselves metabolically and rebounding heavily after, you know, six, 12, eight weeks, which is what so many people do. So I find it quite, I guess, easy to steer clients away from that by getting them to reflect and see what hasn't worked in the past. So it's like, well, obviously we've got to do it another way. Let's try, let's try this way and give you some more food and see if you actually have more energy and you're able to be more consistent for longer with it. How do you cope with clients that don't necessarily like the tough love? Because some people may not be in the the, the headspace for tough love. They're kind of like maybe at their lowest point, if you know what I mean. And they're kind of like, well, it hasn't worked before. And they may not like that whole answer because they they want a little bit more information. How do you kind of cope with that element of it as a coach? This might sound terrible, but I'm very, (laughs) very particular with the clients that I sign up in my program. So I have a very, very strict (laughs) policy in who I sign up. And if clients aren't 100% ready for change, if they're at their lowest point and they have a whole lot of things going on in their lives, I won't sign them up. So I actually only take about two or three clients on every single month um, because I do, I give them daily contact. We do um, weekly calls for an hour. I do personalized meal plans completely, write them full recipes, um, fully personalized to their requirements, that sort of thing. So it's a very intensive coaching service 
business. So I actually only have the capacity to take on a very small amount of clients. And by the time they get to me, they are 100% or a thousand percent committed, ready, even just to, to sign up with me, they have to fill in a screening form. At the end of that screening form, if they meet a certain set of criteria, it'll go through and they have to book a call with me. Some people can't even do that. So they fill in the form all right and they can't book the call. And I'm like, okay, it shows me that you're not ready and you're not committed. And so I'll only take a client on if they're, it's the priority in their life. And I get okay. that people want results, but for a lot of people, it's not their priority priority right now. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, yeah. but too many of us are saying they want it, but it's not our top priority. And so we're never going to achieve it. So I don't want a client to sign up with me and fail. Um, if they're in, you know, really bad place, I'll send them to a psychologist. I'll get them to work on that first, come out of that um, sort of darkness and, and then work towards what they want to achieve. So it's really for me, I know this probably, I, I have the luxury and I, I admit that I am saying this from a privileged place that I have the luxury of being able to sort of pick and choose clients that I will only sort of sign up clients that are hundred percent ready to change. And if they sort of say to me, look, I, I really want to try this. I'm like, okay, wonderful. Go off and try that and come back in and, and let me know how you go in a couple of months time. And for a lot of people they do when they say, you know, like you were right, it didn't work. I, I, I tried it. I really thought it was going to be the one last thing that worked for me. Um, but you know, I'm ready. I'm, I'm here now. Like, let's do it. Let's try a different method kind of thing. So I think for a lot of people, we can't change their mind. One of the first things they ever taught us in nutrition and dietetic school was you can't help the ones that you love and you can't change people's minds. You have to show them and let them come to that conclusion. You know, I've been trying to help my dad lose weight for many, many, many years now. Does he listen to me? No way. But gradually over the years, he started doing some small things like cutting back on the amount of wine. Mum makes him all these veggies, never used to eat them, kind of does now. So like he's getting there slowly over time. I've been harping on him for 10 years now, doesn't listen. So we can't change those we love and we can't change people's minds once they're already made up. So I think it's really allowing them to get to that place where they realize that, Hey, they've tried everything and quote unquote, everything doesn't work. Let's just try and make, let's just try making this a lifestyle rather than making it a strict diet and seeing what happens when we slowly start to increase the amount of activity we do over time, slowly start to increase the amount of veggies we have, slowly start to decrease the amount of processed foods and do those things, you know, um, in little blocks. So it's like we work on one little thing a month, every month for 12 months and we've got 12 new healthy habits at the end of 12 months. But when was the last time you had a client that was consistent with something for a full 12 months? Very rare because we want yeah. quick change and we want it instantly because we live in this world where if we want pizza, we go on Uber Eats. If we want a date, we go on Tinder. If we want a movie, we go on Netflix. Like we get everything instantly and people aren't used to slowing down and just taking the time to get those results. And I think people forget. And one of my my biggest posts on, on Instagram was I like to do these kind of quote photos where I hold up this quote and I take a photo of myself. It was, and it's something I do on my profile. And one of them was like, people forget that small progress is small pro is still progress. And so many people like that because I think that unless we see that scale jumping massively every single week, we get this hunt and we're like, well, what's the point? I'm trying so hard. I only lost 200 grams or something, but they forget that the average of the last three weeks was actually 3.2 kilos, you know, not just 200 grams. We're going to have weeks where we plateau. We're going to have weeks where we actually, God forbid, go up on the scale, particularly if we're female and we have hormones and time of month and that sort of thing. Weight loss or fat loss is not linear. It doesn't drop every single week, but if we're consistent enough, we'll see, we'll see that over time. So I think for a lot of people, it really is around that, that consistency. Yeah. It's kind of like missing. It's kind of like the, the compound effect. Like, what would you want if I gave you, so if, if I offered someone a million quid right now, they would take it. Or if I offered yeah. them to double the one cent or one penny for every day for 30 days, 
at the end of it, they'd have $5.4 million. But people mm-hmm. would always go for the quick fix really, really quickly rather than waiting 30 days. It's the exact same thing. 100%, uh, yeah. And I think yeah. money, everyone's orientated with money. So it's kind of like that. that's the way to bring it in. The whole aspect of, I think, with eating emotions and stuff, there's in, there has to be a massive human side. And emotional eating... I don't think everyone realizes that everyone does it. And there's also a positive, a positive element to it in that if you're someone's having a birthday or someone's having a wedding, that's a, an emotion eating because it's a happy time. Mm-hmm. How do you, like, is it so-called a normal thing to do with, the, with emotional eating? And how could, what would be the kind of the one or two main points that you would kind of work with clients on? Obviously, it's very dependent on the clients and the starting point, but mm. tips for, for working with this for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think first for our listeners at home who may not have even, I guess a lot of people have heard of this term, but maybe there are some listeners at home who who haven't. So I guess the definition or my definition of emotional eating is really just that practice of consuming large quantities of food in response to an emotion or a feeling which isn't true hunger. Um, and if you look at the literature, experts estimate that up to 75% of overeating is actually due to emotional eating. So would I say it's a normal thing? Absolutely. If 75% of the overeating that we do is linked back to emotional eating, it's definitely a real thing. Um, and a lot of people think, oh, that's just women, their hormones, their time of month, they get stressed, they get sad. But a lot of men I have, you know, my, my marketing and my branding is particularly focused to females because I only coach females. I don't work with males at all, but I get a lot of guys DMing me and just saying, look, you know, your, your quote or your caption said this, but I want you to let you know that I suffer with this as well. And I completely understand that it's just as real for men as it is for women as well. So I think the hardest thing for us to uh, distinguish or for people, people who suffer from emotional eating. And I very much did. That was the reason that I specialize in this topic now, because it was something that I really, really struggled with in my past as a young, um, as a young nutritionist, as a young health professional, I thought I had to be quote unquote perfect. And so I would diet all week long. I would cut everything out to be a hundred percent clean. And I get to Friday and it like all hell would break loose because I'd been so restrictive. I'm so stressed all week. I was so tired. I was, you know, some days I was just at home bored, not doing much. And I would just find myself eating and, a lot of the time I'd, I'd say to myself, like, oh, I'm not even hungry. That doesn't even taste that good. And I'd still be eating it. I'd still finish, you know, the last crumb in the in the biscuit jar, whatever it was. So I think a lot of it is um, I like to define it as sort of head hunger um, and tummy hunger. So tummy hungers are true physical hunger. It's uh, easier to understand when we can understand that it generally for a lot of people increases gradually over time. It's something that... Um, you know, a healthy food will do if you're truly physically hungry, like, well, I'll just go have a chicken wrap or a tuna salad. Like, that's cool. Like, I'll go eat that. But with head hunger, it's that urgency around it. It wasn't there five minutes ago. And now you're like, all you can think about is that food. You know, an ad for ice cream comes on the TV and you're like, ice cream, ice cream. But you didn't think about ice cream. You didn't think about being hungry five minutes ago. And it's always around a particular type of food, you know, with a, with an emotional eating or with a craving, it's not like, oh, I could kill for some steamed broccoli right now. It's generally around what I would call a soul food or quote unquote sort of overly processed food or a junk food or something. So I think learning to understand is this head hunger, which is that emotional hunger, boredom, stress, environmental trigger, or is it that true physical hunger? If it's a true physical hunger, yeah, go and eat. That's great. But if it's that head hunger, really spend time trying to manage or understand like what is this emotion? Because it's not just emotional eating. It's not just when we're sad. It's not just when we're happy. It can also be when we're bored, when we're procrastinating. A lot of the time when I've got a big work task um, or just something simple like, you know, 
as entrepreneurs, we do a lot of admin in our business. I bloody hate tax time. I couldn't, I couldn't, oh, I hate doing tax and my invoices, my accounting. I'm like, oh, it drives me up the wall. I find myself in the kitchen, like opening cupboards and pantry doors. And then I'm like, almost like want to smack myself over the head. I'm like, what are you doing? Stop procrastinating. Just go and do it. You're not hungry. Like you literally just ate breakfast five minutes ago. <laughs> and so for a lot of us, it's it's procrastination or it's it's the environment that we're in. It stresses a trigger. So what is that, that trigger for you that is you know, causing the drive to eat. And once we can establish this, it becomes so much easier to go and work on that emotion. Are you eating because you're bored? Are you home all day because of lockdown? Okay, great. Go and do something super productive. Go and do some filing. Go and clean your bathroom. Go and fold some clothes like Marie Kondo style. That'll take up at least an hour. Identify what that emotion is and try to um, try to work on that. Because a lot of the time when we're eating for emotions, we will always eat far more food than we ever intended because we were never truly hungry to begin with. And that's one of my favorite quotes in the whole world. And I'll say it again for our listeners at home. It's that um, you will always eat far more food than you ever intended when you were never truly hungry to begin with. So a lot of people with emotional eating, they say to me, you know, Leanne, I, I eat some chips. I want something salty. Then I go for something crunchy. Then I go for something sweet. Then I go for something like ice cream and I go back again. And they move from one food to another food to another food because the emotion that they're trying to soothe was never hunger to begin with. They're never going to get the satisfaction that they after because they're eating for a physical hunger when it was never about hunger to begin with. So you're always going to move from one food to another food to another food because what you're trying to soothe was never hunger. So it's really important to establish what is this emotion? Why am I just going from one food to another food to another food and not feeling satisfied? Why am I eating this when I know that it doesn't even taste that good? What is this emotion? So the first step to overcome overcoming emotional eating is to first acknowledge it, identify that it's it's a real thing. It's a real problem. A lot of people struggle with it. Some of us need some professional help. Um, psychologists are great places to start. Um, as well as dietitians. Um, and we can really help you identify this and work through this. And then it's to learn to listen to your thoughts and say to yourself, like, okay, I'm being driven to eat this food. Why? What will eating this food provide me? If I inhale this tub of ice cream right now, why is that? What am I trying to soothe? Am I stressed? Am I anxious? Am I feeling like I'm not good enough? Um, did somebody say something to me at work that was very upsetting towards me? Um, am I at home on Friday night by myself and all of my friends are in great relationships and they're out with their partners and I'm stuck at home by myself? What is that emotion? Are you lonely? Are you sad? Are you stressed? Are you emotional? And then once you've identified that, go and work on that. So I always say to clients, allow yourself to eat the food that you're craving, but go and spend 20 minutes and work on the emotion first. Because when, we, when we're driven to eat for this emotional reason, we obviously, uh, we're normally at what I call like the height of our craving. So the goal here is to drop the craving from say like 100% down to under 50% because we feel much more in control of it then. And if you're going to be eating when your craving's at that 100%, you're not going to taste the food. You're just going to inhale it. You're just kind of going to grab it and shovel it in. You're going to feel a bit sick afterwards. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to beat yourself up and be like, oh my goodness, I failed. Why did I do that? Didn't even taste that good. I wasn't even really that hungry. So it's really spending that 20 minutes. Like I always used to promise myself, like I promise I can come back and eat this. I'll be allowed to come back and eat this, but I have to go and work on those emotions first. And then this really funny thing happened, Jane. Once I started doing that, 50% of the time I'd come back and be like, mm, I don't even really want it now. Or, or you know, 50% of the time I would eat it. And over time that got less and less. Like me actually wanting the food afterwards was like, oh, now I don't really feel like it. Oh, I'll have it tomorrow if I want. So I feel like for a lot of people, emotional eating 
they they're driven to eat these foods because they're restricting them and that was very much me in my past i would spend all week dieting i would never have any of the you know quote unquote naughty food whereas now if i wake up on a tuesday morning and i want to square a chocolate for breakfast i'll have it it makes me a bad dietitian so be it but i'll have it like i allow my body to have small amounts of the things that i want regularly so i don't feel this huge drive or desire to eat a ton of it later on so it's really around identifying the problem figuring out what is that emotion going and spending 20 minutes and working on that emotion and then allowing yourself to actually come back and eat that food. So many people, it sounds so funny, like giving us a permission to eat, particularly women, we don't allow ourselves to eat it. And when we do, it's this all or nothing. It's like, oh man, I've started eating it. I may as well finish off the block, get it out of the house, you know, never buy any chocolate again. And it just comes back to that very rigid dieting mindset where it's that all or nothing. So it's really trying to break that and aim for that 10% better progress, but really learning to spend some time and work on your emotions. Because as adults, we're so good at running away from our emotions. We never actually stop and just sit with them and work on them and go, you know what? that was really a shitty day at work. You know, I feel like drinking a bottle of wine right now, but maybe I'll just sit with my journal and write out some emotions, have a good cry to myself, call my friend. And I promise you, you're going to feel so much better after that. Then after that, maybe you'll have half a glass or one glass of wine rather than the entire bottle with some Maccas and some chips later on. Do you know what I mean? Like you may eat that food, but that's not you failing it's probably a quarter or a tenth of what you would normally eat if you hadn't spent that time working on those emotions first. So I really do feel like that's key. And as I keep saying, allowing yourself to eat that if you still want it afterwards. Giving yourself permission, be sound to yourself. Yeah. And kind of being being able to kind of press reset afterwards as well. You mentioned soul foods. It's the last question. What are soul foods? (laughs) Yeah. So that's a term that I um, coined a couple of years ago once I started, um, you know, getting a bit of a presence on social media and all that sort of thing. I just hated calling foods like good or bad or like healthy foods and unhealthy foods. I just hated that term. So I just think of soul foods as for me, they're foods that they're not healthy for us, but they're good for our soul. So I think of healthy whole foods, nourishing foods as good for our body and soul foods is good for our soul. So I like to say to my clients and dietitians always say, you know, balance and moderation and people get so confused by that. They're like, what the hell is balance? What is motive? Like what is moderation? And I like to say to clients, it's 80% healthy whole foods, foods that came from the ground, foods that your great, great grandparents used to eat and have access to. And then it's like 20% soul foods, foods that whatever it is, they just make your soul happy. And I always say to myself, like, I could eat that biscuit, but that biscuit gives me as much joy as what that, you know, chicken salad does. But that ice cream, oh man, like that lights my soul on fire. I'm definitely going to have that. So it's a really easy way for me to pass on, like, because let's be honest, junk foods aren't healthy. We can dress it up and sugarcoat it as much as we want, but they're not good for us. So we don't want to put a ton of it into our body. So it's really keeping that, the, the soul foods, as I like to call them, to small amounts, but make it count, you know, be super mindful with it because a little bit tastes as good as a lot. And for me, and all we're all different, right? So we've all got different soul foods. For some of my clients, their soul foods are cookies and, and lollies and candy. But for myself, like my soul foods are very much savory. They're potato chips, they're a glass of wine, then it's a really beautiful like truffle brie with some like um, lovely like crackers or something like that. Like that's my sort of soul food. Whereas my partner's like a chocolate fanatic. Like he'll just like, yeah, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> so we're very different in that respect. And it's acknowledging that a lot of us will have different soul foods. So if your partner has a soul food that it's in the house, but you recognize that that doesn't light your soul on fire, or that's not the thing that really does it for you. The drive to eat that 
like me in the past would have just eaten all the chocolate because it was in front of me. But now I can acknowledge that I don't get that true satisfaction like I did if I would were to eat my own true soul foods. So it's very easy for me to say no to other people's soul foods now because I can recognize the things that really give me pure joy and contentment in really small amounts. Like I can have a couple of, you know, potato chips or one of those like kids snack packs. If I eat it slowly and mindfully, I'll get maximal satisfaction from it. And I'm like, that's enough. I don't need to eat the entire bag where if I did, then I'd feel a bit sick afterwards. So again, I think it comes back to that mindful eating as a real, um, I guess, key to enjoying small amounts of your soul foods and allowing yourself to do that regularly. So I really think that soul foods are a quote unquote, bad foods. They're different for everyone, um, but it's trying to establish what foods are healthy, what foods are what I call like in this middle ground here that they're not good for us. We like, but you know, they don't really do it for us. And foods over here that just totally light our soul on fire. I'm like, if I could have, you know, my last meal on earth, my soul foods would absolutely be included in that meal. That's how I sort of like to think about it, like lighting our soul on fire. <laughs> I love that. I think it's so important to leave the, the foods that that do light you up and, and, and you enjoy and be able to kind of have those times or be present with them. Like if you're having a movie night, have them with you or whatever it may be. And it's being being able to say to yourself and not being hard on yourself. So the whole episode today is kind of like, it's kind of, it's gone in a circle, full circle and <laughs> what we've been speaking about. But Leanne, can I, I cannot thank you enough for giving us so much of your time at 6am in the morning to have a chat with myself. Where can people find out about yourself? Where can people find out about your Instagram page and, and the podcast and the Lean Gut Method? Yeah, yeah. So my uh, premium 12-week coaching program is Lean Gut Mind Method, um, available through um, applications through leangutmindmethod.com. Um, I've got my brand new course on emotional eating and self-sabotage. That's available on my website, leannward.com.au. Um, it's also got some blogs, some free recipes. Um, you can also access my podcast off my website, or you can search for my podcast, which is um, easily just Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast on any of the big uh, podcast platforms. On socials, on Instagram, I'm the fitness dietitian and on TikTok to make it confusing, I'm Lee Edward Nutrition. <laughs> Jeez, you've got on TikTok, you're brave. I, I, I can't get my head around it yet. But um, Leanne, thank yeah, you so much. It's very fun. <laughs> I just, I just, I get, go down a rabbit hole, be like ice cream. I go down a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah. th- <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, uh, Leanne. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Shane. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode with Leanne. Like the, the amount of knowledge that has been dropped in that episode towards the elements of self-sabotage and the top 10 tips and being mindful of what they are and can you spot any of those that are happening in your own routine and in anything that you're doing really the important sentiment is that you are enough and the self-compassion element of it the whole thing of should dieting be hard or do we make it more difficult for ourselves moving away from that magic number of 1200 calories the, the useful amazing tool of kind of emotional eating and reframing the tools and the language you're using around foods from good or bad foods towards soul foods is is incredible and i think there's so many knowledge bombs in the whole episode which i cannot thank leanne enough and leanne's podcast is one of my go-to's for a lot of information so i, I highly recommend going over and checking leanne's stuff out and it's incredible so if you enjoy the episode at all guys please do tag leanne and i up on your story if you have any questions at all please feel free to dm us and please 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 keep leaving reviews up on itunes the more reviews you guys leave up on itunes the better the better the guests the more guests i can continue to get so please continue to do so hope you guys enjoyed the episode